So today we're going to talk about God's husbandry. His husbandry. Husbandry. (laughs) Mr. Perry's all excited about it. I don't know what got him wound up. But hey, whatever. Whatever floats your boat. But uh, (laughs) I think he meant, he thought we were going to say God's husbanding. Same thing, husbandy, husbandry, husbandry. But we we can see that the word husband, which talks about the the um, uh, head of household, etc., is from this word. And we know that when God placed Adam in the garden, there was the concern that there was no man to till the soil, and so <clears throat> there was no husbandman. So that word uh, husbandman really means uh, to be a soil worker, a laborer or a soil worker. And that comes from the root of that word really means to dig. And that has all kinds of uh, possibilities there. A person who digs has to be a person of determination. A good husbandman cannot be afraid of hard work. A good husbandman cannot be afraid to take the initiative. So headship and leadership are rolled up into that word. One who goes out so to speak to conquer all adversity so that the the rest of the household can survive can be secure so the husband provides a security for the household I, I wish Christian women could get one thing straight and that is that if you are a helper if that is God's assigned role to you you are a helper you are helping the head to accomplish what the whole household needs. I wish I could impart something to Christian men. Don't be afraid to be the head of the household. You know, Don't shrink back from that. Because in your role there is where you'll find your greatest fulfillment in God. You will not find it in what the world says your roles are. Because the world's so confused, they don't even know. They've missed it somewhere and can't figure out where the problem is. See, and so I think it's it's everything has to do with falling in line with God's plan and God's purpose for your life, and it it starts by embracing and accepting God-given roles, definitions of of what you're to do, what He's holding you accountable for. He's holding you responsible for certain things, and you need to find out what they are, and you need to set about doing them. Well, you know, there you you're going to have different struggles with different things. For instance, oftentimes if you're a woman in ministry, people in the church are accustomed to looking at tradition instead of what's God given. You know, I mean, God has has ordained women to be ministers forever because there's no male or female in Christ, but that has nothing to do with how you relate in your family. Just like if you're a doctor. It has nothing to do with you. You can be a wife and a mother and a physician too. Just like a husband can be a a physician. You know a a woman can too. But you still have God given roles to fulfill. 
Yeah, well, whatever. I don't know. I don't know know even where people get their ideas from. But, you know, I tell younger women all the time, I said, look, women have been working since women have been here. Inside and outside of the house. You know, if early death took your husband, you had to find a way to for that family to survive. So you had to go outside the house to work sometimes. If you had a, a calling that or a special gifting that you know you felt that you wanted to express yourself you could do that but you still had a god-given function in the home you know you don't abdicate that to go off and do that's never been a part of what people did i don't know where that came from that you could just go off and dump your kids off somewhere and it's okay it's not okay you know it's not okay all the time you know i don't think women should be so quick to quit on a marriage just because they think they can get their own paycheck that to me that's defeating the purpose of you know come on now you it's it's two are better than one you know i sometimes you just don't feel like getting up meeting a man and you know all that kind of stuff well if you got somebody else helping pull the load you can lay up there for a day or so but when it's you by yourself you got to go hit it every day i remember when they they first started hiring women for certain jobs in factories other than you know office work and that kind of stuff and i remember a a friend of mine she was saying her 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 niece had moved she said well she moved we were i was in cleveland and she said she said she moved to detroit and got her job in the factory she said you know i look like a man i smell like a man i work like a man you got me i mean she just came face to face with how that job had changed her you know and so it's it's really hard sometimes to deal with all this social pressure you know that you'll have in society but you know god never changes he still expects his people to live a certain way and i believe if christians would quit being so jealous of people in the world and quit looking at the world as your example for how to live and i gotta be like them i can't be too different or they're not gonna want god no it's kind of nonsense stuff we think about i think if we will just stay with what god gives us we'll be successful with a fruit to show God for the time that we spend here on earth so the husbandman is the one who is responsible to till the ground to produce make make the 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 earth produce for him whether it's in direct contact with the ground and in farming or whether it's in in what comes up from the earth like buildings and and uh, inventions and things of that nature uh will that's always been a part of what god expects and it it was a part of what israel was expected to do there's so many references in the bible to farming and farm related things and making that ground produce that we know that god wanted uh tilling the ground to be a regular part of the life of of the israelite once he received his own land once he went into canaan and so that is that never comes away from it there's always going to be some effort some labor involved in life it's just going to be that way so god has given everything to us by promise so there is of course a god part of everything in our lives and then there's an us part 
So God has given us the promise. But we must possess by faith. You possess by faith. Now in Israel they demonstrated their faith by obedience to the law. So they demonstrated their faith in God by obedience to the law. And we do the same thing except the law is written in our hearts. So how does the word get grafted in there? It's through meditation. Through what we, what we voluntarily put in there. So it's a little different than Israel. We, didn't, we don't have a curse because that curse is broken. Whenever we operate in faith there's righteousness there involved. And, and so we cut that off. As if we stay out of unrighteousness. And so righteous seed and do righteous acts, then we can can have righteous fruit coming forth. <clears throat> so the God part of things, if you'll turn to Joshua chapter one, you'll see God always does his part. Joshua chapter one and verse two, he says, Moses talking to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise. Go over this Jordan. You know whenever God talks to you there's a promotion in it. Huh? He never causes you to go backward, downward, suffer loss, anything. That's why he tells Joshua to get up, arise. Huh? And he says you and all this people go into the land which I give you which I do give to them even to the children of Israel so he says I want you to come up now it's time for your promotion and now you're to go over into a land that I've already given them to possess he says every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses so wherever God leads us we possess where he leads us I don't care if it's temporary conditions if he leads you uh, to stay at your mother-in-law's house for the weekend you possess that huh (laughs) yeah right it depends on who your mother-in-law is right <laughs> but you put God in charge of it. So if your mother in law's a godly woman, there's no conflict there, is there? So you shouldn't be afraid that you can't pray in your mother in law's house or you can't worship God or you can't bless your food. <laughs> <laughs> or that you won't have peace. The peace of God goes with you. Huh? The authority of God goes with you wherever you go. So you possess in God. And it, it'll be a blessing to your mother in law. Huh? You'll be a blessing. So you'll you they will be more blessed for your having been there than not. So when God goes with you he dominates every situation. Mm -hmm. He becomes the authority there. 
so you should never be fearful or intimidated to be who God has called you to be but to every <coughs> every uh, individual was given a parcel of land which they drew by lot we all know that that the 12 tribes got together and they began to divide up the land that God had given them so the first that were able to fight went in and possessed it early and then there were other tribes so it was the the custom was if the tribes that were possessing land needed help all the others came and helped them and those that that the lot fell that they possessed that they possessed that but they had ample help in fighting problem is that seldom did they ever do anything more than just talk about it which is a warning for us because it's easy to talk about what God wants you to do what he's called you to do and all that and never possess what God has for us so we'll miss it sometimes just just because people miss it but that's not God ordained for us to miss it so he always does his part he provides the land for us so the land was assigned by lot we said after Israel have fought the inhabitants and driven them off the land so God told them there are people on that land when you get there there will be people there and you're going to have to drive them off many people just left you got me they didn't put up a fight they didn't put up in anything some of them tried to fight back and they were overcome when Israel went up in the power of God if they'd sought the Lord beforehand got a strategy for what to do and they were obedient in carrying out the warfare and in what they possessed after so important how they treated the spoils of war Mm -hmm. very important sometimes God tells them to destroy everything it's all accursed I don't want you to have anything to do with any of it Mm -hmm. and sometimes they were able to keep a portion of it but always uh, the first of it went to God they had to worship and honor God with the first of their increase no matter where it come from. Uh, always. And so God was there to guide them in possessing the land. It was very important that the possession of things, <coughs> in the possession of things you be led by God. You can't be too careful in getting your instruction and you step out in faith you go as far as your faith will take you and when your faith stops you stop and you come back for more instruction for more seeking God whatever it is you'll know when your faith runs out because you just run out of understanding of what to do you don't know the next move to make so you go as far as that level of faith takes you and then you're able to regroup and go back for more and know that there's always going to be something to possess in God. The devil's got so much stuff now, it's devil and his people, they got more than their fair share. And so God is wanting us to come back and possess these things for him so that he can give people a good life, give them the God life instead of the carnal life that the devil offers that so many people jump at and they're so eager to get involved in.
So every piece of land was God given. Just like in Romans 12.3 it says to every man is dealt the measure of faith. So where God gave them land he gives us faith. So for every natural component to this land issue or this husbandry thing there is a spiritual component. So the land was really a type or a shadow of faith that we have. So we possess things by faith. And faith is our possession. That is our land. It's as good as money. It will conquer anything that we need. It will produce anything that we need. If it's attached to a promise in God. So since every man is dealt the measure of faith. And we've given the. It may not be an equal amount. But it's the measure that God's apportioned to us. According to many different things. God does things after the counsel of his own will. <clears throat> but when we start out. We start out with faith that has saved us. So everybody kind of starts out with saving faith. Or knowledge of salvation. And their faith has brought them to that point. And from there we move farther and farther and possess more of our land. For instance if God gives you 10 acres of land you're not going to utilize all of it the first day. But you're not going to sit there and look at it and let it intimidate you and wonder about it. And oh I don't know what's out there. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my it's just grass you know. We think it's a big jungle out there or it's hard to do. And so God has given us the ability to conquer the rest of it everybody has the same ability to conquer same because you get the the measure of faith your faith works just like brother copeland's faith his works like brother hagen's mine works like yours like theirs it all works the same it all works the same there is no great faith and little faith given to anybody we start out with a level playing field everybody has the same measure it depends on how you see yourself do you see yourself as a worker as a tiller of the soil as somebody who can put their shoulder to the plow how do you see yourself is the most important thing do you see yourself as more than a conqueror? Do you see yourself as somebody who has the ability? Or do you see yourself as somebody who can't do anything and you're just waiting for God to do everything? See, this has always been the challenge of Christianity. Are there Who's out there willing to be on God's side and go in and fight and possess? And who's sitting back just waiting for God to put it in their lap because they're good enough? See, like you behaved and you haven't done this and you haven't done that and so therefore God should give this to me or I shouldn't have problems with my kids because I raised them in church and I had them in this and I had them in that and they're good kids and they're you know this and that and they're mine mm-hmm. and that was, that's what makes them better than everybody's <laughs> huh? and so are you are you willing to fight are you willing to go in and possess are you willing to obey God what are you willing to do in order to see the promises of God so that's the God part he gives everybody a land and he gives everybody the measure of faith to possess it 
whatever is given by God is a permanent possession. He never ever takes it back. Now we may refuse to work with him in it. But he never takes it back. So it's a permanent possession. And he gives it either in shadow or reality. So with Israel it was a physical land. With us it's a spiritual land. So I believe that anybody who's in covenant with God now is it's a spiritual thing. It's not physical land. You'll see many people arguing Israel should have this, that, 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 and that in natural, but there's really no covenant governing physical land anymore. It's all spiritual. You prove that by looking at history. Whoever was on God's side usually won the battle. You got me? So it was never a physical thing anyway. It was physical for them for purposes of God demonstrating that his relationship with man not only impacted the the spiritual realm but the natural realm as well. See? Because you actually had possessions. If he hadn't given Israel land and, and cattle and water. and We would be thinking that we're only going to get something in heaven. You know that's a prevalent enough thought anyway. We would, short, we would think our faith could not work in the material realm. Huh? So he had to demonstrate his desire to take care of people in a natural realm. With a natural covenant, with a man's covenant that he did. The first covenant was, was, was a spiritual covenant, but it manifested heavily in the natural. The covenant we have now is spiritual, and, and it'll manifest in both places, the spiritual and the natural. So we have assurance of heaven, which we know that they didn't have that assurance. But we also should have assurance of natural things, that our faith can possess natural things as well. And so man's part then is to till the land, to possess it, to take care of it, to subdue, to cause it to bear fruit, to to challenge the land that is against you with barrenness to be fruitful for you. That's what the challenge is. So how does man do his part? That's what that's what the challenge of Christianity really is about is understanding what your part is. You know what your part is. Your part is possess it. Your part is to obey God, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the land, make it produce for you, cause it to 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 take care of not only you but other families, to take care of nations of people, to get this land so that it produces for you, so that people can live. So that people can flourish, they can thrive, they can prosper. You want that land to produce so that it can increase to the maximum and put people to work. Let people live good jobs, have good houses, give lands and so forth and so on. The ones who are willing to put their shoulder to the plow can prosper out of it. And so there are are, are, uh, assignments I think on people. 
giftings in people that make it easy for them to to cause this land to be they can control the land to cause it to produce extract the good from the land also take care of the land so that it produces more and more so forth and so on I think it's terrible what what the responsibility I'm not so concerned about uh, natural resources like parks and, and green things but what we've done to cities and natural resources where people have gone in and taken the best out of cities and left the buildings empty and they're falling apart and there's who's there to tend that part of the land which nobody wants to do we'd rather think about you know the forest and the rainforest and all than to take care of what we see right before us that we've destroyed and we need to go in somebody needs to get a good idea go in people who have their own money to invest and not look for the goofy government to screw up everything you know take a, a, a out of every dollar maybe 50 cent goes really into the project everybody's taking a piece off it before it even gets to the project and the project never gets done and so there's there's this this thing about uh, husband husbandry caring for tilling the land taking care of it all aspects of it just not certain aspects there's a certain part of humanity that just wants to take the best out and leave a shell an empty shell and never go back and tend it take care of it see you know we got you know you look anywhere any city that used to be great thriving and flourishing you know you don't have to go far you know in Detroit some of the near suburbs now are looking desolate because people just go and leave it and instead of tending it caring for it subduing it making it produce making it beautiful again causing it to prosper the way they should they go off and leave it because it's you know done for them always got an excuse well you know the neighborhood's going down well it's not the neighborhood it's the people aren't doing what they're supposed to do to take care of it you know factories they built these huge monster things and now that they don't know how to hold on to the work that went in there you see somebody's got to come up with a creative idea if you can go way over to Asia and find people can make it work, the people who started it can make it work too. Can make it work better. Uh, you might have to fight some devils and you might have to, to, to be a bad boy for a while or somebody that nobody wants to have anything to do with for a season. But they'll come around to your thinking because it works. See anything that will fill up the factories will work again and bring paychecks out of there like it used to. People will get used to that real quick. They'll get used to that idea in a hurry. Mm-hmm. So somebody has to take it upon themselves that this is our responsibility. This city is our responsibility. The buildings are our responsibility. The roads are our responsibility. The people are our responsibility. We don't want to build buildings that take you through the city and straight out. I mean roads that take you in and out. So you don't have to look at what you're responsible for. You did this to your city. Your ancestors did this. Everybody's responsible and did this to this city. And so, you know, there's a tendency for man to extract what's good out of something and leave a mess 
behind himself. Mm-hmm. You look at people. I watch. I sit there and I watch what people do when they get up. Many people will get up and pick up their things and take what they brought. But some people get walk off and do something else. And then somebody else has to pick it up. Trust me. At the end of the, the session there's at least one or two things left behind. That somebody didn't think was their responsibility to do. And you brought it there. So you can see this tendency in people to not subdue. Be responsible you can see it in the natural. It's an irresponsibility that that comes natural to the carnal mind. To the to the man that's not disciplined and trained under the hand of God, there's a tendency toward irresponsibility. You look at the people, look at relationships. You know, there's men that they've got four kids by four different women and they brag about it. Until they get dragged into court. Huh? Then they're all upset. Some of them, some men never work. And the the sad part of it is, is that that you know you've given away your potential for at least I know it two or three momentary pleasures. You got three joys out of that. You got me? And you gave your whole life away for that. Because if you don't work, you'll never reach. Your gift will never bless the earth. You'll never live up to your potential in God. You're hiding from, from uh, you know, the courts because they want child support. You're hiding from the child support order. And you never work. You might have been the next doctor, lawyer preacher anybody great but you threw it all away mm-hmm. see we got a lot of latent talent laying around here doing nothing and the worst part of it women encourage it it's okay baby I got this and I got that you ain't got nothing you ain't got a brain and he ain't either. Amen. And who made you God that you could tell him it's okay for him not to fulfill what God put him on this earth to do. And tell him it's okay. Hmm? I didn't create you. I don't know what's okay for you. I don't call the shots in your life. huh? So you ain't getting in my bed and I ain't getting in yours. Hmm? Where was I? Let me see. Where was I? Hmm? So we can't just leave things, you know, have our fun with them and go leave them. It's just wrong. It's wrong. No, the, the earth has been raped by man. And just taking what was what was fruitful and what was good in her prime, she was a lot of fun, and now she's just an old broken down city, and we're going to go off and find new land, fight over that, and get that broken down and go leave that. Got me? And so that's a common thought pattern in fallen man. And you've got to have some God renewal in there 
before you'll learn how to be a builder how you'll learn how to create things and have a vision for for prospering and making things have leaving things better off after you've touched them than worse off hmm? leave them better off than worse off you see cities sometimes it's a, a um uh, plot in the the commercial and industrial aspects of a city. You know, it's not always the residents that want to you know make it a ghetto. You know, people sometimes live where they can live, where they can afford to live. But you'll see commercial buildings that are that that have been dilapidated for years. The city never made them fix them up. Never made them come up to code. Huh? Now you can't find the owner, so we can't tear them down. Uh, so we're stuck. We're products of our own, uh, uh, you know, lack of concern and consideration and care and responsibility. See, when God gave man dominion, that's a responsibility. That's not go in and take what you want, rape a city, and just leave it in shambles. And then they say, well, what are we going to do? People are leaving here in droves. They're, now they're leaving the state. What are you going to do now? You ran somewhere else in the state. And now people are leaving the state. Huh? And so, you know, is there somebody that, can, that has a, an idea, a concept to rebuild? And that's what people are looking for. Oh, it's going to take so much money to do that. Well, there's plenty of money around. You just got to start encouraging people to put it in and make the bums and the thugs and the the drug addicts make them go somewhere and hide instead of letting them have everything the devil loves to have stuff like that because he can scare everybody you know all he needs is one person in a hoodie and somebody wants to pull a gun on him and shoot him you got me so we got a whole city full of young people with hoodies running around that's what the devil does after he drives the people out with the money and the ones that can put money into it and fix it up and they take the money out then the drug addicts and the thieves and the thugs come in and nobody wants to be around them Mm -hmm. so this is far from what God has in mind that's why he builds the church on this principle of tilling the soil causing it to produce subdue and replenish not just subdue and take and run off but subdue and replenish the earth so in subduing the earth getting clearing it off and getting it ready to produce that's where he wants his people to focus that's where we're going to focus right now because we need to think about what what happens when God gives you uh, a blank slate he gives you as you know okay you belong to me now and I want you to work for me and I've given you land to possess I've given you faith to possess it with and I'll give you a vision for how to use that faith for the things that I've caused you I've called you to do these things your faith will have a hard time working outside of the call and the will of God for you a call doesn't mean preaching all the time I wish you know we get this Christian ease out of our brains because God calls some people to be chefs he calls some people to be uh, uh, inventors he calls some people to be artists he calls some people to be doctors he calls people to do there's every function there is 
When Israel, when they built the first church, he had the people who were artisans. They were very much needed because you needed to people who could work in metal to build the things of the altar. Every skill that was representative there was used. There were dressmakers and people who could make tents. They were needed for that. They needed people who knew how to to raise and farm and slaughter animals and how to preserve food and meet every skill that was that was necessary was called for and needed. It's the same thing now. Nothing's changed. People go always need carpenters to build houses. They're always going to need bricklayers. They're always going to need electricians. They're always going to need uh, people who can can feed those people. You got me? The, the, everything's needed anymore. So there's no no skill that God doesn't have a use for. He called you up with that skill so that you could develop it for him. For some work that's going to be good for humanity. That's going to do humanity some good. So we, we, we prosper uh, through, we subdue the land or possess the land through spiritual contact with God. You cannot be a possessor without relationship with the one who, who in, strengthens you to possess and gives you wisdom to possess. You don't get anything outside of relationship with God. So you must have spiritual contact with God. For a number of reasons. Not just so you can brag about how long you worshiped God and you felt good. But while you're up there talking to him. Find out how to take him with you everywhere you go. You got me? So it's a continual contact with God. And the Bible says Enoch walked with God. Adam walked with God. In other words, you didn't just have sit down there and feel his presence and then go leave. You found a way to take him with you. You walked with him. How do you walk with God? This is a challenge. Miles Monroe said this is why most Christians can't convince their neighbors to serve God. Because they don't know how to walk with God. Know how to walk in the spirit of God. Not ooey owie feely. I'm not talking about a spirit you can feel. I'm talking about the mind of God's spirit. To take him with you through his word. It's the only thing you can take with you. Mm Mm-hmm. You can't just drag the Holy Spirit any and everywhere physically. You have to wait on his presence. You have to wait on his approval. If he approves of you then he comes to you. You don't drag him around. Huh? But the part you can capture and possess is what? It's the word. It's what you meditate on. That's how you capture and possess God. That's how you walk in the spirit. You walk in a godly mindset. How do you do that? Through communion and fellowship, same way Adam did. He communed and he fellowshiped with God. And through this fellowship, God provides the vision, direction, the courage, resources. Weapons and protection that you need. Why do you think it says fight the good fight of faith? 
This is what bugs me about people. Just I'm waiting on God. Why are you fighting? Have you ever fought that? Have you ever think about fighting through some of this weight stuff? And once you fight and it's not there, then you wait. But me myself, I just fight some more, just cause it feels good to fight sometimes. <laughs> it's a good exercise for us. Rabo sikiri andaria, harabo sikiri andaria, harabo sikiri andaria, ha 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 ha, sikiri andaria. Got me? Just let it rise up out of your spirit. Let it rise up. Don't try to force it. Mm. Let it rise up. Kuratashia handaria sikiriandaria. Harabosia handaya shikiriandaria. Sometimes your mind will want to drift off. You have to get it anchored back in through edifying yourself and making sure that you keep communion with God on a regular basis. So he supplies all of that through communion and fellowship with God. If you don't have direction, if you don't have resources, if you don't have, you need to get back in there and commune with him some more. Don't sit up and wonder. You don't have to wonder. You have access. Use it. Daniel 11.32 The benefits of knowing God. There's benefits, folks. You kidding me? Yeah, we will look at these people of old, man. If they could have this strength in God, and they even weren't spirit filled, they have anything hardly. It's just you know amazing to me sometimes what God will do through just us being faithful and utilizing what we know. A little bit that we know to do. He says but the people that do know their God. He's knowing him. He's communion and fellowship. You know have a comfort that, that you can draw from him that you're never without answers that you're never without an option you're never alone you're never you you don't run into a brick wall nothing can stop you and he says he said the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits now if you have a King James Bible that word exploits is in italics which means they don't know what word they use there they said just said exploits because they said well that probably sums up everything that could be possibly be done. Amen. And be strong. They'll, they'll know their God. Will be strong and do exploits. There's nothing that will be able to stand before you like he told Joshua. Nothing. It will all fall if it tries to oppose you from going in the direction I send you. It's going to fall right in front of your face. You got me? So when he says you'll be strong, you'll do exploits. That's what he means. But it comes from knowing God. And if you get to the place where you don't have an answer, you know where you go for one and you go immediately for more. You know, you you hasten to the throne so that you can find these answers. You can find what you need. You come away with something in God. You don't just pray in tongues and, and, and 
pay your dues and get it over with. You know, that's your entry into relationship with God. So you you need to understand that you're edified by that. And don't be so quick to walk away from it. You got me? It it just it, to me it's it's, it's kind of sometimes you know I'll sit and I'll listen to conversation. I know when to wrap it up. That's why I called that too much, too much. Because you've just been in the spirit of God and now you're in there talking about some old carnal nonsense. I'm thinking to myself, I'd keep that as long as I could. Man, you get out there in the streets and the devil's going to strip it off of you soon enough. Why you get around your brothers, y'all rob each other of the... I'm serious. You know, I mean, you know, that's your time to do what you want to do. But think about it. You think about, don't let your conversation deteriorate so far down. That it's hard to get it back up again. Amen. You know, you just stay, let the, the Spirit of God linger. That doesn't mean y'all got to preach to each other. Sometimes just eat your stuff, shut up, and come on back in here and worship some more. Amen. Amen. Everybody needs to say amen to that because it, it's just, it makes no sense to me. Amen. Just been praying for an hour and it, that leaves you that quick? Makes me wonder if you were in the spirit at all when you were praying. Or just waiting to get over there and have your bagel. You know it's a thought. It's just something to think about. huh? This is to help you. I'm not trying to rob you of anything. But I don't think carnality is something that we're entitled to. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. One person's grateful. So stay with that. Don't let that lift off of you so fast. You got me? You're not here to rob from each other. You're here to build each other up. And it's easy to get over there in the robbing thing. You got me? So just stay with a conversation that's edifying. You know what edifying means? That means you leave that person stronger in their spirit than before. You got me? That's, that's the purpose of gathering together. You know, I, I see sometimes these little Christian coffee house ideas. Starts out wonderful because you can get a lot of people in there you wouldn't get before, but you got to keep it up. That's, that's probably one of the most challenging types of ministries because when, at least when people come to a worship service, they know what to expect and they stay they stay in line with it but you can get into some atmospheres where it is kind of hard to control folks you got me and you need to try and keep godly control over it because if you're going to help people what are they helped you doing letting them do everything the world does except drink the booze and they got some churches where they letting them do that I was reading some preacher said, uh, well, you know, they, this this bar, I talked them into letting me come in one night and speak to the people. And they're just sitting there drinking like everything. is this minister standing up there. And so what the heck is he talking about? Huh? You're not that desperate for a crowd. You know, you need to pray and ask God to pull people away from that influence so that at least sober. Good gravy. Amen. 
Now I've known some people that got sober some up real quick. But you don't go into a bar full of people and expect them to get sober. I mean like who you think you are. It's terrible. It's terrible. So you know we need to be getting stronger in these things folks. God expects us to do exploits. To be strong. Strong in what? In him. Strong in righteousness. Strong in holiness. Huh? Strong in the good things of God. Hmm? You can take your little time over there eating your bagel and, and talk about praise reports you got from somebody during the week. It's easy to do that. Keep each other edified and, and built up instead of nonsense. So think about it. You got me? Think about how you keep yourself in the spirit. Think about how you relate to one another. Think about that. Are you building each other up or are you robbing each other? One or the other. There's no neutral conversation. One either glorifies God and builds up the saints or it takes away from it. So when we are involved in God's husbandry. There's a purpose to it. There's meaning to it. Knowing God is how you get started in it. You've got to know him. You've got to get direction. You've got to get vision and focus and stay with it. You don't ever defocus. And get off of what you're doing. Got me? After the service is over you can have a blast. But you're, when you're in service going from one phase of service to the other you stay in the spirit. Know how to stay with the spirit. That's why Jesus when he would choose disciples to go with him. If he wanted a miracle. He didn't take Judas. Anybody see him on the list? Of, when he went to raise a dead girl. Judas was not on his list. He was over stealing the offering. Jesus knew where he was. But he took people he knew would stay in the spirit with him. And knew how to function in the spirit. So that he could depend upon them to stay in in obeying the flow of the Holy Spirit so he could get something done. Learn how to be that person. You got me? That person who knows to stay with the things of the Spirit until the miracle happens. So to exploit means to take the best that there is and do it with decisive action and to triumph. To triumph in it. Overcoming a challenge or a notable heroic act is an exploit. People who do exploits fully possess what God has. And everything prospers and flourishes around them. They don't have a trail of destruction. They have a trail of good fruit. You got me? Now I'm not saying they don't have challenges or you know difficulties with one person or another. <clears throat> but the majority is good fruit. You don't have a, a good and bad report about them. When you know God you'll do exploits. The fruit is good and you're able to overcome challenges. So that doesn't mean that you you know go out and fight for God and there's all this collateral damage. 
You got me? You go out and fight for God and there's good fruit resulting from it. You got me? The only enemies you have are the ones who are God's enemies. You, you, you attempt to make amends with people and to reconcile with them wherever possible. You, you live like a, a, a responsible Christian. You live responsibly. So, now before the land is tilled, the good farmer always waits for rain. It's the only thing you're allowed to wait for. After it rains, then you're free to go and plow. So what is rain? We'll talk about that for a bit. I'm going to read you something from... um, Manners and Customs of Bible Lands. It talks about the uh, Middle Eastern system of growing and harvesting. It says preliminary preparation for planting the grain. In other words, sowing your seed. How do you prepare for that? Now mostly we're just taught to sow it. Grab the word and sow the seed. You know, plant sow a seed for your need. Waiting for rain before beginning to plow. It says in Palestine plowing is done after the early rains have softened the earth. Mm-hmm. Psalm 65.10 talks about the farmer waiting for the early rains and the latter rains. Sending the rain is God's responsibility. The wise farmer knows when to plant. He knows his soil. In other words you know your heart. You know when the words planted firmly in your heart and then you can begin to pray or you can begin to speak it out or you can begin to get your seed into the ground. It says these rains usually come after the latter part of October or the first part of November. If they do not come then the farmer still must wait for them before he can plow the ground. In other words, you've got to wait for that rhema word from God. When that word gets in you and it's strong enough to start moving you, that's when that's the best time to plant. You got me? When you have heard from God personally, is speaking to your heart. This can some for some people it's the first time they hear a scripture. You got me? They just grab onto it because their heart is is the their heart is softened enough to receive the word. So when we talk about this natural thing, you have to look at a spiritual comparison to it. What is that telling us about the spiritual condition and spiritual climate of a person's heart? And and it says <clears throat> If they do not come then the farmer must wait for them before he can plow his ground. Job said they waited for me as for the rain. Jeremiah described lack of rain this way. There was no rain in the earth. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Now why would you be ashamed that there's no rain? Well if you're obedient to God there's always rain. Comes in its due season. If the seasons they're they're what it's saying they're hitting repentance if they're covering their heads that means that they're going inward toward God they're repenting to find out why is it not right what did we do to cause the rain to stop it says once the rain has come the industrious farmer mm-hmm. 
those who know their God will do be mighty the industrious farmer once the rain comes will start plowing quote the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold huh I don't have enough I got something else to do with this money I'm going to be short I'm going to that's the sluggard he's always looking at conditions the bible says he who regards the rain will not sow and he who regards the wind won't reap you can't regard conditions even if it's still raining and that soil is ready to be plowed you got to plow in the rain you can't wait for a nice sunny day where you don't get cold or you don't get wet to go out and do there's always going to be some condition People who are are fearful of the future will never sow. They'll never give much to God. Because they're looking at holding on to what they have for a time when they won't have. Well you're anticipating lack. You're not supposed to be anticipating lack if you serve God. You're supposed to be anticipating abundance. He says such a man will retreat into his home and enjoy the warmth of his fire but he will miss the harvest. Thompson tells of Dr. the one who did the Thompson chain reference Bible tells of one year when the farmers waited until the month of February for sufficient rain to enable them to plow the ground for the grain crop. So that's from October to February. They're still waiting. See, you wait for the ground. You wait for the ripes. You wait for the anointing. You wait for the unction. Now, he says, <clears throat> the harvest came late, but it was abundant. Huh? It came late, but it was abundant. See, when the conditions, you're looking at conditions, you're not looking at time. When you start looking at time you've lost God. Hmm? God works in conditions. Okay so getting ready for plowing. The farmer gets ready for plowing after the first rain starts falling. If he has not already done so before. So a wise farmer gets everything all his implements and everything ready. Anticipating that it will rain and it will rain in its season so he says he will spend time making sure that his plow is in good repair and ready for action so you make sure that you understand what it is that you're waiting for if you're waiting on God you understand what it is that you need before that unction will start to stir in you that it's time to do things mostly I've found with believers is that they are slow to it to initiate they're slow to get the seed in the ground instead of you know you don't have a whole lot of people who are going off half cocked you have most people who are sitting under the word got the word in them and don't know what to do with it and when to do it and so it has to do with how how familiar you are with all of the instruments of planting that it takes sometimes people think just confessing the word is enough and they'll confess it for a short season and then stop and then they'll start confessing something else other than the word 
Some people are faithful to meet with the prayer partner and pray here. But when they leave the atmosphere they start speaking about the problem and negate what they're not feeding what they've sown already. So this business about him being ready to plow huh, before the rain comes. You be ready to pull the trigger on that word. You be ready to get some more word to go with that. You be ready to hear prophecy and be open to that if that's what you need. That's preparing your implements even before it, it the soil is, is ready for the rain. So he says he his plow should be in good repair and ready for action. He may need to cut and and point a new goad to use for plotting uh, for prodding his team of oxen. So there's a strength that needs to come into it. So here the farmer needs several things. He needs the rain, he needs the plow, and he needs the oxen. He needs the water of the Holy Spirit. He needs a strength to endure and get that whole thing done. Huh? See, oftentimes we pray a prayer one time and we want to sit back and wait on God as though there's nothing else to do. Huh? You keep plowing. You keep sowing. And we've only prayed for this one thing that you're facing right now. We need to get praying on the rest of it. You see what I'm saying? You had a whole prayer manual you pray to make sure all areas of your life are covered. And it says here. He needs to point, uh, cut and, and point a new goad to use for prodding the team of oxen. He must also see to it that his yoke is smooth and fits the necks of the animals. An ill-shaped or heavy yoke would gall them or stall them. They won't be able to move forward. The Lord Jesus spoke of the easy yoke promised to his obedient followers. So when the ground has been softened sufficiently by the rain, then the plowing can begin. So they talked about several items here. You need the rain, you need the oxen, and the yoke, the plow, and the goad. Something to keep you going. Hmm? Daily reading your word. Listening to the preaching. You know the pastor preaching. Wherever you're assigned to be. These are goads that keep spurring you on. Keep spurring. Quit being afraid. Get out there and use the word. You got to go confront that thing now. And make sure it obeys the word of God. You see. So these are all necessary things. If you're going to be successful. In receiving what God has for you. So when the ground has been softened sufficiently by the rain then the plowing can begin can begin so there's the plow the equipment used in plowing the plow one type of Assyrian or Palestinian plow is made of two wooden beams which are joined together 
And at the front end is it is hooked to a yoke and at the rear end it's fastened to a cross piece the upper part of which serves as the handle. The lower part holds the iron plowshare or coulter. Even today many may be seen in Bible lands plowing with what might be termed a forked stick. Bible writers often mention iron plowshares. These plows could without much work be changed into swords for warfare. So the farmer was also a warrior. You got me? You just don't sit and wait for the crop to come. What are you going to do about the birds that come to eat up your your seed? What are you going to do? All of these things had to be taken into account. What are you going to do about robbers that might want to come and take your 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 oxen, your implements, all this kind of stuff? So you have to be mindful of enemy tactics against your harvest. They're always present there. And so he had to have his his weapon out in the field with them. Mm-hmm. The the Joel three ten talks about beating your plowshares into swords. Mm-hmm. Exactly the reverse of this prophecy was suggested by both the prophets Isaiah and Michael, predicting a, a time of peace where you reverse it and take the swords and make them into plowshares. Got it. So <clears throat> the other part of this was the yoke. We talked about the plow. The other part, the yoke, is a rude stick that fits the necks of cattle. Two straight sticks project down each side and a cord at the end of these sticks and underneath the cattle's neck holds the yokes on the necks. These yokes are of wood are often spoken of in scripture. Okay. Then there's a goad. A goad is carried by the native plowman today and is also used in Bible times. It's a wooden rod varying in length from 5 to 7 feet with a sharp point at one end. With this the farmer can hurry up his slow moving animals. It was such an ox goad that was used by Shamgar in slaying 600 Philistines. The conviction of sin that came to Saul of Tarsus and led to his conversion was compared to the pricks of an ox goad. So the goad that God uses is to pull us into his will. Hmm? To keep us from going our own way. <laughs> huh? That's what it did for Paul. To bring us to repentance. You, know, you go your own way because you think you're right. Amen. You need to change your mind. Say God you know what I'm sorry. I've been pulling against you. I'm not right. I'm wrong here. So I need to turn, turn it around. And get myself straightened up. Amen. Huh? Animals used in plowing, the use of oxen. In Bible times, oxen were used almost exclusively for plowing. Why? Because they're the strongest ones you could get. For this reason, the expression a yoke was used by the Hebrews to mean the measure of land which a yoke of oxen could plow in a day. Oxen, as the Hebrews used the term, meant both sexes of animal, cows being used as well as bulls for purposes of drought, but the latter was castrated. In other words, the bulls were not, if you had a cow and a bull together, what are you going to have? Trouble and nobody thinking about the plow if the cow's in heat. Alright, so they would castrate the bull. If if your eye offends you, 
<laughs> you tell me you won't you won't get it done today. <laughs> this is this explains the reason for the law specifying concerning a heifer to be used for sacrificial purposes that it be one upon which never came a yoke. So it would have to be not a beast of burden but a beast of sacrifice. The law of Moses forbade plowing with an ox and an ass yoke together. Well you can see the trouble you're going to have there. The ox is the strongest. The donkey's stubborn. So they're not, you're not going to get much work done out of them too. The apostle Paul spoke of the unequal yoke. In connection with partnership between believers and unbelievers. Hmm? Today the Arabs usually make use of oxen and plowing but sometimes utilize cattle, camels occasionally yoked together an ox and a donkey, a camel and a donkey. So yeah but the Hebrews knew better. They knew they couldn't get much work. <laughs> you just slow the ox down. You want to be freed up. Hmm? You be careful who you agree in prayer with and what you agree on. Hmm? You get these stubborn people. You want somebody who's under authority. You know, you you're not gonna get much done with people. It's well, I think we ought to pray this and we ought to pray that. Whatever. Rebellious people always want to pull you their way. I don't know why the spiritual people don't step up and just start rebuking folks. Say, no, nah, we ain't praying like that. You're wrong. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Alright. So preparing the soil for the crop. Do I want to go there? Alright we'll do this last one on plowing. The plowing of the ground in oriental fashion is quite primitive. The plow which at at best is a slight implement can be carried if necessary two miles to the farmer's place of work so it's not very heavy of course by comparison with modern plows it could be said merely to scratch the surface of the soil the plowman holds the one handle of the plow with one of his hands while he carries the goat in the other with which to prod the animals Jesus said no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom so you're holding the plow and you're holding the goat but you're looking (laughs) you're working in a direction where you have no vision you know which this is is probably one of the things that is most beneficial to the farmer is his vision because you don't look at the work you look at the harvest see if you don't keep your mind focused on what that work's going to produce you'll get discouraged by the work that you have ahead of you you know you look at a whole empty field and you know you you got to have a mind to the harvest i believe part of what god does with them waiting for the rain to come is to motivate them to stay focused on the harvest 
See, sometimes the longer you have to wait for something, the greater your vision can come of it. You know, your vision can be increased, it can be uh, stirred up, it can be made more real in the waiting process. Especially if you're meditating on God. You say your farmer sits there and he, he looks at it, an empty field and he begins to envision wheat growing there. He begins to envision himself harvesting that wheat and sorting it and, and, and selling a portion of it and eating and, is, and putting it away. And it's a, This is what you focus on in the waiting period. You don't sit up there and think about well what am I doing wrong and why don't God give me something. How come I ain't like everybody else and he get that old Pastor Barb stuff and you got me? Amen. See you don't don't cloud your brain up with you you envision that part of that waiting is for your benefit. If you know how to use it right, you could envision greater things in God. He can drop an expanded vision on you. You might have thought you were only gonna do that portion. But you know what happened? Your your neighbor got discouraged because the wait was so long and he abandoned his property. And now you have an opportunity to possess that and they'll let you plow that. You got me? And so there are all kinds of opportunities that we can have if we'll learn to use. Learn how to stay with the focus and the vision that God has. He's not setting you up for some failure. He's not setting you up to be shortchanged. He's setting you up to possess. He knows when when somebody's going to drop out and be weak about something and you can be there to gather it if you'll stay with it. You got me? He will never disappoint you. So um, let me see. No man having put his hand to the plow and looked back is fit for the kingdom of God. He described the operation accurately as saying hand. That is one hand rather than two hands as in the case of the western farmer. It would be fatal for the Palestinian farmer to look back because his implement is so light that the worker often had to press down with his weight to keep it from leaving the furrow. And so it this is something that you do not engage in casually is what God's saying he's not this is not something you just put in your time and wait for God to do his bit this is something that takes your 100% focus and concentration this is something that you have to stay with because God may speak to you something else about it again this is important because it has to do with your life and how your life turns out in God The eastern farmers will sometimes plow together. Each man having his own plow and team of oxen. And one one following close behind the preceding one. So there are teams. Partners. In prayer. And in the labor of God. It's just not one one man show. Now that's your field. You're going to reap the harvest. But if God tells you you're more beneficial having a partner in this. Then you get your partner. Because you can dig deeper. You can come out. you You can plant deeper. You can have better success in what you're planting. Because the fowls of the air won't eat it up. Because it's laying on a superficial plot of land. Because your plow wasn't able to come in deeper. Because you're only one person. Hmm? It's like people had these secret prayers. No one tell nobody what they need from God. You know. Now, we don't do it here. You're so accustomed to this. But you, you know. Just wait till you have to do a prayer line with all kinds of people. God knows what I need. 
Well, listen, I ain't a psychic. Do I look like Madam Cleo to you? Don't answer that. But you know what I'm saying. Don't don't give me this psychic crap. God knows what I need. Well, I don't. Better tell me something. That's so foolish. You know, they'll sit back and think everything that's wrong with them, get up to the altar, and they can't say anything. So they plow together. This sort of farmer's club is adopted as a protection even from roving robbers. Somebody catch you out there in the field by yourself? Come up behind you because you're not looking back? And it's also because of cooperation is in dot is desired when the wheat farms are large so you're going to need some help when that harvest comes so where you get your your cooperation and agreement is in the planting aspect of it thus elisha was found plowing with 11 other plowmen and a total of 24 oxen so they had a large club of plowmen to make the work easier God wants to do everything for us to make the work easier. Make it easier. In in eastern farmers, fertilizer is seldom used. Did you know that? Fertilizing the eastern farmer seldom adds fertilizer to his soil in raising grain. And they got sandy soil there in many places. And rocky soil. Many a hillside used by the farmer for his crop has a quantity of small soft limestone scattered over it. Part of the lime in the stones is dissolved with each rain. So God fertilizes with the rain. The rain provides everything that you'll need for a successful crop. So you don't need to go and and sow fifty dollars to Benny Hinn just to ensure that you're gonna get an answer to your prayer. You understand what I'm saying? Now, if you want to give to him, God tells you to do it. That's between you and God. But I'm telling you, there's no uh, emergency seed you can sow to blast that out so you can get it from God. You gotta have a relationship with God. And I'm telling you, the more people resort to gimmicks, more because they lack relationship. They think because they give to some preacher on television, God's going to hear them more because it's coming from him too. And that's wrong. You got to have relationship with God. You got to know, you got to know when it's time to sow, when the rains come, when there's enough rain. You got to know all that stuff. He wants your attention. Part of the lime in the stones is dissolved in each rainstorm and mixing with the soil makes it better qualified for a good stand of grain. These stones take care of the liming of the soil. Modern Jews returning from the west to their farmland are adding various chemicals from the Dead Sea as fertilizer for their soil. But there is no mention in the Bible of fertilizing the ground for a grain crop. So once that rain comes that takes care of everything. In other words once your rhema comes that's all you need to begin your prayer and your expectation in God. Once you've meditated on the word and you understand what God says about your situation. You begin to pray and you begin to declare and you begin to expect that thing to turn around. You expect to harvest. To expect it to stay the same is wrong. 
just as wrong as it is for a farmer to go through all that trouble and planting seed and know he put that seed in the ground and know he covered it up with good soil it's just as wrong for him not to expect the harvest for us not to expect God to be with us in these things when we need him amen so we're going to stop now and we'll we'll finish this up amen praise God well father we thank you for allowing us the opportunity to hear and understand your word we want understanding Lord greater understanding even than we have now we thank you Lord we bless you for what you're doing for us we bless you Lord for helping us and increasing us and we thank you in Jesus name amen praise God if anybody needs prayer come on up I'll pray for you